Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage into less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. And part of that passionate adventure is how it starts. This week on the blog, we've been talking all about the honeymoon to celebrate the launch of our honeymoon course. And I have brought Rebecca on to the podcast with me for the main segment this week because she helped me write the course and it was super fun. Yes. It actually was. It, it was kind of like I said to her, okay, I want to do everything differently from what I actually did on my honeymoon. Well, and I had an awesome honeymoon. So between the two of us, yeah, <laughs> we had the worst case and the best case scenario. <laughs> but that's actually because, I mean, I, I advised you guys on how to have a better honeymoon than I did because I knew what the mistakes that we had made. And so... Precisely. Yeah. So just really quickly, what our course does is take you through the two main issues when you're planning a honeymoon. And one, of course, is how to actually plan that honeymoon and make sure that you're doing something which is actually going to be fun and not exhausting. And then the second part is really the big one that everyone is thinking about, which is how to make honeymoon sex awesome. (laughs) So I really want to talk about the second part of that on the podcast today, but let's just touch on the first bit really quickly. So Becca, one of the things we did in one of the modules was figure out the five main honeymoon types. Yes. And that was a lot of fun because I really like categorizing and analyzing things. Yeah, and we're not going <laughs> to share all of them with you. But basically, no. you know, all of the trips come in different types. Like you can have a super adventurous one where you go and you hike through Italy or backpack through Italy, and then you can stay at your cabin in the woods. And these are very different types of honeymoons. <laughs> yes, and for very different types of people in very different mm-hmm. types of situations. And what we find, like what, what we found in a lot of our friends and just watching other people get married is that they often plan these super elaborate honeymoons, which may work very well for certain people, but too often they just end up exhausted and they don't realize how tired they're going to be at the beginning of their honeymoon after the wedding. <laughs> and so sometimes the really, really big trip isn't the best one to take right away. Well, exactly. And I think it actually really ties in with the rest of the modules too, that are more focused on, you know, sex and the relationship and all of that kind of stuff because if you plan your honeymoon with a certain kind of mentality of this is going to be the trip yes the best trip of my entire life we're gonna go we're gonna be weighted on hand and foot I'm gonna go to the most beautiful beaches with the bluest of water and I am going to have the most mind-blowing honeymoon sex of my entire life Like, I think we put so much on the honeymoon that it was never Mm -hmm. meant to have on its shoulders. Yeah, because there's a lot of changes that are coming right when you're right when you're getting married. And, you know, even if you're not a virgin, I mean, in a lot of our course, I'm expecting that most of the people taking our course are either going to be virgins or sex is going to be pretty new to at least one of them. Or one of them is at least nervous about something, whether they've had sex or yes. not, whether they're, they're just feeling like, is this going to be everything we want it to be? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of expectations mm-hmm. on the honeymoon and there's a lot of new stuff. And, you know... Even when change is good and even when we're enjoying it, change is stressful. Exactly. And one of the worst things for your sex drive is to feel a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like if you feel like this has to be perfect, every part of this has to be perfect. If our room isn't absolutely perfect and if the food isn't absolutely perfect, everything is ruined. And so a big thing that I wanted to get across in the course, which is what made our honeymoon so wonderful, is that it's okay to decide that you just want your honeymoon to be fun. Yeah. And relaxing. And a little bit low key. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like the Instagram feed for hashtag honeymoon. 
You know, it can just mm-hmm. be what's right for you as a couple because the honeymoon overall is about celebrating the beginning of your marriage and just kind of sitting and taking the deep breath after the wedding and saying, we did it. Yeah, we're here now. We made it. I didn't yeah. accident. I didn't stab your mother. <laughs> you know, like yeah, all of that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for some people, that really big trip is what they want. And there's exactly. nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we do put some pointers in the course on if these are the things that you choose, then also do these things to make it less stressful. And also recognizing that you can plan a honeymoon that doesn't look as quote unquote perfect as someone else's and it can still be perfect for you. So it's not about saying you shouldn't do the big Hawaii five star resort vacation, it's about saying you don't have to. Right. But if you do do the big Hawaii five-star vacation, here's how to make it awesome. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But now I think that what people um, are often most concerned about and are often most excited about is sex on the honeymoon. How do we make sex amazing on the honeymoon? And, you know, for most people, it's really not. (laughs) And I think that's because we go in with the wrong expectations and there's just things that um, can get in the way of sex being great. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know when I did my surveys for the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, what I found was like for 20% of people, sex really was awesome, right? Like, Like mountains erupted, trees fell down, like the earth shook. It was just fireworks everywhere. It was stupendous. And then... 20% didn't even have sex for a couple of days because they were so stressed or it hurt or just something went wrong. And then for the other 60%, it was still kind of like, meh, meh. Yeah, Matt, like it wasn't that great. So um, when we were putting the course together, I was thinking, okay, how can we get people out of that bottom 20% and even out of that 60%? Because I really think it doesn't take much. It's just a few mind shifts and a few tips because I think that we can hasten this along. Um, and, and what I found too in, in the comments on the blog for the last, and I've been doing this for over a decade now, is that people often get started with sex badly. And when you set up sex like from the very beginning badly, it can be difficult to get over that. But if you set it up really well, it can be awesome. Exactly. I think that when we go into our honeymoons or those first couple of days after you're married, there's just so many expectations that don't necessarily even come from you or what you want your sex life to look like. I think that so many of us are told what sex should look like for couples that, you know, the idea of like, hey, if you get your period on your honeymoon, you don't have to have sex is anathema. Mm-hmm. Or the idea that like, you know, maybe you're just really nervous and you want to just sleep and cuddle for the first night to get used to even just being in the same bed together if you have no experience, you know, like those ideas or even just the the idea of like, you know, maybe try showering together or having a bath together first before you actually go to straight sex. You know, these ideas of you're allowed to take it slow and you're allowed to let your body dictate how fast you go. Because Mm -hmm. for a lot of these people who get married, who don't have a lot of experience before the wedding night, I just get concerned that we can skip from, you know, the holding hands and kissing all the way straight to sex. And we don't do anything that usually would come between. And then you have these women (laughs) who have sex and their new husbands are like, man, that was awesome. And they're like, was it? (laughs) You know, because... yeah. I'm sorry, but for dudes, when it's up, it's up. 
And mm-hmm. that's kind of a, as difficult yep. as it is for a lot of men. Whereas for women, it takes a lot longer to learn how to get aroused. And I do, con- I, and I do worry that's for some of these women, they kind of get married and they have sex and expect sex to just feel good automatically. But if we have these expectations shifted so that you can listen to what your body is saying it wants, I think that a lot of the time you set a much better foundation for sex later because you almost train your body how to have good sex because you train your body how to become aroused and how to listen to its own cues and how to respond to what your husband is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of us really don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, the, the big mind shift that we're talking about in the honeymoon course is not to aim to have sex, but to aim for arousal. Mm-hmm. Aiming for pleasure, not just intercourse. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have sex. Okay? In fact, like- <laughs> I actually think that if you aim for arousal and pleasure, you'll probably end up having a lot of really good sex instead of a lot of kind of mediocre sex. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if women don't understand how their bodies can feel good, then sex can get started and it becomes something that actually is quite awkward and quite unpleasant. And I know that's what happened for me. I mean, um, and I've shared this on the blog lots and in the book and in the Good Girls Guide to Great Sex and everything, but I felt such pressure that we had to have sex. And so when it hurt, I pushed through that pain and it was pretty awful. And and it wasn't it wasn't that my husband was pressuring me, it was that I was pressuring myself because I didn't want to fail. And that's how I really saw it. Like I am failing because it was such a huge thing. And if we had just slowed down and tried to figure out what actually felt good, I think I could have saved like weeks and months and even years of of having to almost backtrack and figure out what worked. And so that's what we're really hoping that we can shift people's mindsets and understand that you got to just spend some time figuring out what makes her feel good. And there's this awesome comment. Um, Becca, do you want to read it? Yeah, It's sure. by Melissa. She left it this week on the blog when, in, in our post about 10 things to know to plan the perfect honeymoon. So here's Melissa's comment. She says, a huge amen to number eight. And number eight, I think, was aim for arousal, not just sex. Yeah, just what we've exactly been talking what we've about. been talking about. She said, we've been married for 22 years and have had a happy, healthy, active, and mutually satisfying sex life for the whole 22 years. For us, it really did start on our wedding night. My husband worked at a paper mill when we were dating and got married, and he heard how the men talked about their wives slash girlfriends and were horrified. Basically, they just used them for their own sexual pleasure. On the flip side was the women he worked with who talked about always being left hanging and feeling like they were nothing more than sperm toilets. Oh, how awful. She also that is says really how gross. Awful. That yeah. is really gross. Yeah. <laughs> My husband vowed not to be that kind of man. Now we were not the Christian couple who waited till the wedding to kiss. So sexual tension was building up in our brief 10 month dating slash engagement period. So we knew arousal to a certain point. However, we were both virgins on our wedding night. Most 23-year-old virgin men are going to go right for intercourse on their wedding night, but not my husband. After some kissing and general foreplay, the first thing he did for intercourse was give me oral sex. I will add that this was completely initiated by him. No, I didn't orgasm, but it sure did get me aroused and relaxed me, which made intercourse incredible the first time. It has been incredible ever since. I know this might be too much information for some, but my main point is that a truly selfless man will make his wife's pleasure his number one priority in sex, and in reality be setting himself up for a great sex life as well. My husband's putting my arousal and pleasure ahead of his own on our first night together really set the stage for what sex would be like for the rest of our marriage. 
Yeah. And that's exactly what we're trying to get at is if we can just change those expectations. And, and what the course does really is help couples have that conversation because that's an awkward conversation. And we don't suggest that you have it like three months before the wedding. No. <laughs> we're talking, we're talking, you know, just before the wedding, some of the modules you do a long time before the wedding or as long as possible. If you get the course later, it's okay too. Um, but this one, you know, right just shortly before the wedding, you know, read about how to make sex good on the honeymoon. And that's really what we're stressing is changing the expectation. Psychology has actually shown that the habits that you make in the first, I believe, two years of your relationship are Mm -hmm. the ones that are the most difficult to overcome later. So if you start doing something 10 years into your relationship, it's actually easy to drop that habit later if you have a really Mm -hmm. good foundation. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but if you start with a bad foundation, that can be really difficult to overcome. It doesn't mean it can't be, but it just, it's just how much effort it takes. So I guess what we want to do with this course is make sure that the sex part of the relationship, the foundation is as good, selfless and mutual as it can be. Yeah. And so, and yeah, because again, so many of the questions and the problems that w- women write in about are just that sex has never been good. Like they've never figured out how to feel good. And I think it's because if you start off sex where it's only about achieving intercourse, it can be really difficult for women to learn how to speak up and say, no, this is what I really need. And it can be, it can be difficult for women to even figure out how their bodies work. Well, because at the point of intercourse, then what does it really matter if she feels good or not? Because intercourse can happen if he feels good and she doesn't. Yeah, and that's actually what we were talking about. Um, was it in March when I was doing my whole series on how we need to change the definition of sex? Mm-hmm. I think it was March. But you know, that's something that we talked about is that we see sex as man puts penis into woman's vagina and moves around until he climaxes, which means that her experience is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we need to change the way we look at sex so that it's about a mutual experience and it's about mutually you know, learning um, how your bodies work and enjoying each other. And like the commenter said, it's better for both of you anyway, if it's good for both of you. Yeah. And you know, um, (laughs) something else that uh, someone said to me recently is that when she got married, what she had imagined her whole life about her wedding night being was like, he carries her into the bedroom and he lays her on the bed and he takes off her clothes and he makes love to her. So it's like, she is the passive one and he is doing everything to her because that's what's seen as romantic. Um, And it, what she needed to learn as well is that you're allowed to actually do stuff. <laughs> like it's actually, it's actually more fun if you participate. <laughs> so again, it's just getting over sometimes the way that we build these things up in our heads and it really becomes something that you experience together, not just something that you do because it's expected. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we've gone over the big mind shift that we want people to make um, for honeymoon sex. And we've shared the one big thing that we've told guys that's their job, which is helping women feel aroused. There's one big thing we've told women too. You'll have to get the course to find that out. (laughs) But, you know, but we have great assignments for both men and women, just so you can start sex off without these huge expectations and instead just enjoy each other. And we want you guys to know too, we're not trying to say don't have sex in your honeymoon. We're just trying to say, try to have good sex on honeymoon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and actually even I would even rephrase that. Not even try to have good sex, but try to have fun being sexual. Yes, exactly. You know, 
And and then the rest is honestly going to come. And if it doesn't happen right away, it will. And if sex is still difficult, even after, you know, a couple of weeks or something, that isn't normal. And so you should see a doctor. But uh, and, and honestly, there are things that doctors, physiotherapists can help you with because some people do run into those problems. And I know that I was one of them. But for everyone else, get that arousal piece right. And things will tend to work out pretty well. Before I let you go, Rebecca, I really think that we should tell people the story of what happened this week when we were testing buying the honeymoon course on the shopping cart. Oh, because gosh. This is, this is pretty amazing. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is okay, why... So, oh. Okay, so, so here's what happened, people. So uh, before, before the course went live, I just wanted to make sure that all the purchasing would work from the store because there were some technical issues about getting it uh, matched with the, the course platform and stuff like that. So I asked Rebecca to run a few dummy purchases through um, using her credit card and using her PayPal. And I wanted to do multiple different names for them so we keep track. So if we had problems with one but not the others, it would be easy to be able to tell what was the issue, right? Exactly. Very Without smart. Without having very to look smart. at the very long convoluted order numbers. And so I was really bored and so I just made up stupid names you know very stupid names. around I was looking at my tiny five pound dog and so who's named Winston and so it was Winston Borkus and there was Nacho Business and then my final one was Bork Bork Woof Bork because I was very tired <laughs> again yeah so Bork Bork Woof Bork so there she was and and it just so happened that Bork Bork Woof Bork was purchased using the same email address that belongs to your account on the blog. Yes. Where you write posts. And we didn't understand the significance of this <laughs> until about 28 hours after this had happened. I was edited. I went to edit a post and I got a message from WordPress, which is our blogging platform, to say that Bork, bork, woof, bork. <laughs> I was currently editing this post, and did I want to take over? And so I get this FaceTime call from mom, <laughs> who's saying, are you in a post? And I was like, well, yeah, you asked me to edit it, so I'm editing it. She tells me what happens, and I then have to spend, like, a couple of hours going back and, like, trying to figure out how to change my display name back to Rebecca Linden back. And then I started commenting, and... Well, the comments were showing up as Bork, Bork, Woof, Bork, so I had to delete all of those and figure out how to change my name. And That's right. So oh. if anybody, for about 28 hours there, if anybody was reading any post written by Rebecca at any point in the past on the blog, it would have said, bye, Bork, Bork, Woof, Bork. <laughs> and this is why I don't do a lot of quality checking. For the website. <laughs> this is why I don't do the detail work. And this and this is the behind the scenes of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog. <laughs> 31 Days to Great Sex. It's 31 really fun challenges in 31 days. Just read two to four pages a day together and do what it says. It's easy peasy. And don't worry, you don't have to have sex for 31 days straight. Instead, you'll learn to talk more openly about issues, flirt more, deal with baggage, figure out what feels good, try new things, spice things up, and so much more. It's the best 31 days you will ever have in your marriage. Why not start today? 
Normally on the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, I have a millennial marriage segment where I bring on my daughter and we talk about marriage issues among the younger set. But since she joined me for the main segment, I think I'm going to take this one myself. And I want to comment on the National Survey of Sexual Health and Behavior, which asks people of all different ages and demographics what sexual practices they do in a year. And the one of the big changes over the last four years has been there's a massive increase about well massive 40 percent increase in females masturbating while the males uh, rate has more or less stayed the same and i just thought it might be worth commenting on that because i do get a lot of questions about masturbation and i think that there's a lot of misinformation out there and just a lot of confusion and so uh, i'm just going to lay out what i think i think that this is a very <laughs> sticky subject, maybe that's not the right word, but it's not necessarily totally clear in the Bible. And so what I am saying is my opinion. I don't want anyone to think that this is the biblical opinion. I really encourage people to listen to me, but then make your own decisions. Okay. So I'm going to tell you what conclusions I have come to after uh, certainly reading scripture, but also listening to other people's experiences. Um, And so I just want to comment on that. So let's talk first about masturbation when you're single. I know that for years it's been taught that teenagers should not masturbate and that it's a sin and that it's a terrible, terrible thing. I don't think it's the best. And I certainly think that we can run into trouble with it. And so I want to talk about how it can um, definitely be wrong. If masturbation is paired with pornography, which it usually is uh, with today's teens, then it can cement a view of sex that is completely warped. Uh, Pornography can rewire the brain so that what's arousing is an image or a video rather than an actual relationship. And when you pair sexual arousal and sexual response with pornography, um, which is what you're doing when you're masturbating, it trains your body to be responsive to that image and to that video. And then when you get married, it's much more difficult for sex to work. It's also very clear scripturally that lust is a sin. And so if we are using someone else to get sexual gratification that is not our spouse, that is a sin. So whether you're fantasizing about someone else, whether you're watching pornography, that is wrong. However, I know teenagers have so many hormones raging through their bodies. They've got curiosity about their bodies. I don't think a great approach to teens is to tell them that they should never ever masturbate or else that's a sin because I think that can be very shaming. I think talking to teens instead about how they are going to have sexual feelings, how that's natural, how they're going to be curious about how their body works and that's okay. Um, But what you want to be careful of is that you don't develop an unhealthy obsession with masturbation and you certainly don't want to use pornography. I think too, you know, I've talked to a lot of um, people in the blog who say they got into a masturbation habit when they were single. And because of that, they trained their body to need a certain kind of stimulation. You know, it's funny, for some people, masturbation actually helps you learn how to orgasm because it does teach you how your body's response works and what the different levels of sexual excitement feel like. But for other people, because masturbation is one person um, touching you, like you are touching yourself and you get the automatic feedback of what feels good, then your body is used to very direct stimulation that works. And the simple fact is no other human being is ever going to be able to stimulate you like that. 
like many women who just cannot have orgasms with their husbands are able to orgasm themselves with masturbation in three to four minutes. So it's not that they can't orgasm. It's that their husband hasn't learned how to stimulate them in that way. And he may never, well, he will never be able to do it exactly the same way because he doesn't get the feedback when he's at exactly the same, the right spot. I just think that it's a good idea to discourage masturbation as a habit, but it's a bad idea to shame people for doing it at all if that makes any sense. Um, I do want to talk about masturbation in marriage though, because this is something that um, I get a lot of questions about and there is a lot of misinformation. For instance, I had a woman say, is it a sin to masturbate while I'm having intercourse? And what she meant was, is it a sin to touch myself, um, specifically to touch her clitoris, I assume, when they're actually having intercourse so that it feels better. And there certainly are certain positions um, where it is much easier for a woman to touch herself and where that can make intercourse feel better. That is not masturbation. We have gotten to the point where we are calling anything in which a person touches their own genitals masturbation, and that's not what masturbation is. I want us to think of masturbation as something which is taking the sexual energy out of your marriage and making it only about yourself. So masturbation is really something which is stealing sexual energy from your marriage, okay? It is always wrong, obviously, when you're married, it is still completely wrong if lust or pornography is involved. But I'm talking, I'm not talking about lust or pornography. I'm talking about, is it a sin to actually touch yourself and give yourself pleasure? And what makes masturbation problematic is that many people use masturbation to get sexual release, but then it short circuits the route to intimacy that I think God designed, because here's what happens. In any marriage, there's going to be somebody with a higher libido. Okay, that's pretty much inevitable. I've never met a couple where they have the same libido. And when you have the higher libido, then, you know, in order to get sex, you have to really pay attention to your spouse. You have to figure out their love language. You have to woo them. Um, you have to show them affection. It's kind of a way that God made us so that we would pay attention to our spouses. If our libido was absolutely the same, then sex could only be physical. Sex could just be about coming together in order to get our physical needs met. But the fact that sex, that there are these libido differences mean that we have to pay attention to the emotional side of the relationship in order to keep the sex life alive because you have to woo each other. And then if you're the lower libido spouse and you want that affection, you know, you need to also be open to your spouse's sexual advances. So it helps both of us step out of our comfort zone and it helps both of us think of the other person. What happens though, if the higher libido spouse says, well, um, you know, she or he is not interested in sex. And so I'm just going to masturbate. Well, then that urge for sex is met and you can pretty much ignore your spouse. Like it actually takes away that drive to connect because I think we have a sexual drive to connect so that we would also have to connect in other ways. And you don't want to remove that from the relationship. There's also, so that's one issue. And then there's also the issue that so many people, um, 
report that their spouse is masturbating instead of having sex. And that's extremely common too. So a wife will find that her husband masturbates in the shower quite frequently, for instance. And, but it isn't always men. As this survey showed, there's a 40% increase in women masturbating. And I do get letters from women who say they have a real masturbation problem and it's taking away from their desire to want to have sex because masturbation feels better. And when you're masturbating, it makes sex into something which is solely self-focused. And that is not what sex is supposed to be. God made sex to be intimate physically, yes. And it's supposed to be amazing physically, but it's also supposed to be emotionally and spiritually intimate. I talk about this a lot in the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, that sex is something where there's supposed to be a deep knowing of each other. It isn't only something which is physical. And so if we make masturbation our go-to in our sex life, what we're really doing is we're rejecting intimacy. Now, I understand that there are some people who are in sexless marriages where their spouse just will not make love. And that is a separate situation. Uh, And I do feel for you. I do think that that is wrong. I think you need to get to the underlying issue there. Please see a counselor. Often women especially, although it's not only women, but women especially can have really negative views of sex and can see it as something really distasteful. And I'll be doing a post coming up soon on for women what to do if you've never if you haven't had sex in a couple of months or even a couple of years, because there are some things that I really want to say to those women. Uh, so that is a separate issue. But if it's just that you have libido differences, I don't think masturbation is going to help. A lot of people think, well, this is great because then I'm relieving the problem and I'm relieving the stress on my spouse to meet my needs. But you're not actually doing that. Instead, what you're doing is you're taking away that impetus to, to meet and to meet each other's emotional needs. And that's what you really need to work on is why can't we connect more sexually? Um, and then finally, you know, when masturbation is involved, and especially for women when sex toys are involved, you really can train your body again to respond more to that toy or to yourself than you can to the spouse. And it can make orgasm with intercourse more difficult. So, you know, I just think that it's something that we need to think about, but I do think we need to be careful how we talk about it. Touching your own genitals is not a sin. Even masturbating when you're together, like touching yourself while you're watching each other, that is not a sin. And sometimes, hey, it can help you understand how the other person likes to be touched. Okay. So when we do things together, it isn't a sin. When something replaces intercourse, when it replaces intimacy, when it's secretive and it steals the emotional and spiritual connection that we're supposed to get as spouses, it is a big problem. And when lust is involved or pornography involved, it definitely is a sin and it's a huge problem. So I hope that that clears it up. I hope that we can talk about this in a non-shaming way, but also be realistic about the ways that this can damage a marriage. I've got a great reader question this week, which fits in so well with our honeymoon course. Um, A woman writes, I'm in my early 20s. I'm not dating at the moment, but I want to start dating again soon. I have so many questions about sex because I never really been told anything past the usual puberty talks in school and from my mom. I'm so glad I found your website because you've answered many of my questions. But now I was wondering if you could answer two things for me. Is it morally okay to look up answers to my questions about sex now? For example, how long should sex last, even though it doesn't pertain to me since I'm not dating, engaged, or married? Sometimes I feel so guilty for satisfying my curiosities about sex. 
And two, when I do get engaged, when and how should I start discussing sex with my future husband? I know I'll feel embarrassed to even bring it up to him when the time comes and I worry about how he will respond. Okay, so good questions. And I just want to say, first of all, you know what, it is totally normal to be curious about this. It's a big part of who we are. Our sexuality is a huge part of who we are. And when it's a big unknown, then yeah, you're going to want to know stuff. Um, I do think that googling stuff can be problematic, because a lot of things that you don't want to look at are going to come up and there can be temptation to click on some of those links. Uh, So I will put some links in the description of this podcast on where you can go for safe sex information. Um, I have written a post on that as well on what to do if you're curious. But I want to get to this point about how do you talk about this stuff when you're dating and when you're engaged and when should you talk about it? I do believe that it's best to wait for marriage for sex. I think that that is what the Bible says. But more importantly, I think that God asked us to do that for a reason. It's not just because he wants to be a killjoy or anything like that. Uh, It's that sex really does work better when it's about intimacy with only two people. And you might think you're totally committed to someone. um, And so it's okay to have sex before you're married. But then when you break up, it does have repercussions. Uh, If on a societal wide basis, people are having sex a lot outside of marriage, that does have a lot of repercussions. It also has repercussions on you personally, because that's just a lot of baggage to have to deal with. And uh, also, when we are dating, when you start having sex, it can feel like you're much closer than you actually are because there there's a hormone called oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone, which makes you feel like you're totally bonded. And so you might feel like you're really close and like you're really in love, but often emotional vulnerability stops at the level that you're at when you start having sex. So you may never actually be able to get more emotionally vulnerable with each other because when you want to feel close, you just have sex. So it is important to keep sex until later because it helps you really know someone when you focus on the emotional aspects first. And couples who do do that do tend to do better. Okay. So that being said, if you are going to try to wait for marriage for sex, then I think, you know, talking about sex too, too much can be problematic. But I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about it in general, especially when you are going to get married. I think, you know, saying that you're looking forward to this or that you hope that this is a good thing is certainly important. Um, When you are getting married, when you are engaged, it is important to talk about contraception too, because some of that needs to be decided, you know, months before the wedding. So you do need to, to be talking about those things. And if you're embarrassed to bring things up, that's where a honeymoon course does come in because it's for couples to watch together. And then there's actually discussion questions and activities that you can do that help you talk about things in a safe way, even if the wedding is still far off, but make sure that that you are on the same page. So I, I don't think talking about sex, like specifically with when you're dating or, or engaged, you know, as in, I want to do exactly X, Y, and Z, uh, is necessarily a healthy thing. It can just make temptation a lot worse. I don't think, I'm not talking about sinful here. I'm just saying, eh, you know, that's not necessarily wise, but you should be talking about things in general, especially once you're engaged, because it is a huge part of marriage. And I think to not talk about it at all can make the transition even harder once you are married. And also, yeah, you just do need to make sure that you're on the same page. So I hope that those modules will help. And I will put some links in the description below on how you can find some more safe information about sex.
That's it for the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast this week. Lots of stuff for singles on this podcast. And congratulations to those of you who are listening who have an upcoming wedding. Yay! I do get so excited when singles read the blog and listen to the podcast because I love helping people get started on the right foot. It's so much easier than fixing issues later. And of course, thanks to Bork Bork Woof Bork for joining us today and join me next week when I share about some of the gross stuff that female sex bloggers deal with. As always, be sure to check out the links in the description to the podcast to get the honeymoon course and lots of other links there too. And join me on tolovehonorandvacuum.com where we make marriage less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. 